Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are here tonight to talk about a stunning 4-0 victory for Tottenham Hotspur against Sheffield United. I suppose uh, it's not that stunning to beat the worst team in the league by a lot, but it is for us. Uh, Certainly one of the more fun games we've had to watch this year, which again, not saying much, but we are here to talk about it and some other stuff that happened. I am joined this week, as always, by my faithful panel of experts leading us off we have brian ashlock from sunny florida brian just how are you doing tonight uh i'm great jose Mourinho has a new job tottenham hotspur can buy a new mediocre player with the money we saved i'm very happy and next up we have ben daniels ben how are you doing tonight as we look back at a comfortable spurs victory i'm doing great Brian Mason is officially the greatest manager in Premier League history with two wins out of two. Um, Brian, I'm sure that sticks in your craw, but for the rest of us, pretty excited. Hey, all I'm saying is uh, Mauricio Pochettino lost by more goals to Pep in a, in a cup competition than Ryan Mason did, so. You decide, listeners. <laughs> That's just, those are just numbers, and I think Michael Kayla would be very proud of me for using these numbers to prove my point. Right, Brian? I mean, wasn't the score of that game 2-1? to one? Oh, well, you know, the aggregate was a lot worse. <laughs> so, so, I'm not sure that the numbers in this case actually bear out your The argument. aggregate was a lot worse, Brian. <laughs> yeah, they lost 4-1, to one, technically. So, that's way worse than Ryan Mason. <laughs> oh, did that game happen today? See, I didn't even know. I was... oh, oh, okay. Just, just cutting edge analysis from Wheeler Dealer Radio, folks. We're all very current on all soccer. We watch all sporting events at all times. So, yeah, uh, Spurs had a, like I said, very comfortable win against Sheffield. It was a Gareth Bale hat trick uh, along with a goal from uh, Hunman Son, who probably could have had more if if, if Luck and VAR had gone his way. Uh, I want to sort of take the big picture here. Uh, We've talked about this a little bit last week, but this was, I thought, pretty fun to watch I mean I thought we again it's it's Sheffield they suck but you know Ryan Mason's a 20 year old manager with like three professional games under his belt and we look better than Jose Mourinho first of all the idea of Ryan Mason being perhaps 20 years old oh I bet 29 whatever same difference (laughs) yeah no it's great i love that idea just as though there's like some guy who just got out of university like yeah you guys go fucking do that um no i you're right like this was fun um i don't think there's any other way to look at it like even me who i'm like "Ah, ryan mason this was great we had the ball we knocked it around we um, made a lot of uh, you know interesting runs like the the Gareth Bale run for the first goal like to get in behind and have Aurier chip it over the top like we weren't doing that kind of movement under Mourinho and I don't know if this is you know attacking plans that have been devised by Mason or if this is just like guys just go out there and play football and in the attacking third kind of feel free to move around and 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 do what you do um but it's great it's great to watch i mean gareth bale scored a hat trick that was awesome like that's what we all dreamed about when he signed this summer and you know the fact that we only get to see it now these last what five six games is really annoying ben looking at this i want to put aside like Mourinho's weird feuding with players because that's a sort of separate issue but Jose Mourinho is an incredibly accomplished manager, and he somehow wasn't able to see this stuff. He somehow wasn't able to game out some version of this, at least against bad teams. Like, how is Ryan Mason proving probably a better option for Roma than Jose Mourinho? I mean, surely, I mean, Mourinho's not stupid. Oh, okay. He's not. <laughs> he's not unaccomplished. Let me, 
let me pose a hypothetical to you. What if Jose Mourinho is a terrible manager? I mean, because that's what we're seeing, right? It's like whether Mason came up with like this like really cohesive attacking plan or just kind of got out of the way and was like, everybody go out there and have fun. Uh, either way, it's just a testament to like what a net negative Jose Mourinho was managing this team. Like he, we saw it at Man U. Like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not like a brilliant tactician with like sophisticated footballing philosophies. He was a guy who just sort of like let the players play. And, you know, I think maybe he's gotten better to some degree since, since then, but you saw day one with Ole taking over from that team, just not having Jose being the cancerous, terrible person that he is imposing this negative brand of football that alienates players and keeps them from playing the way that everybody who likes soccer, like wants to play. Um, just getting him out of the fucking picture allows these guys to just be good again. And it's, it's stupid. It's stupid that we live with this for so long. It's, it just, it boggles the mind. And it's, it's one of those things you understand it because like you said, Ben, the, the answer is extremely simple, but it's so simple. You think like, well, surely there must be something else going on. It can't be. I mean, Reno's won two champions leagues. He has had very impressive, like era defining teams in like two or three different countries. It's, it's just insane that his sort of bizarre personal quirks have led him to being a lesser manager than 20-year-old 20, 20 Ryan Mason. I mean, like, if you look at the way we played, it was basically like a poor man's Pochettino system where it was we were pressing. You know, Deli Alley was back, and I thought he was fantastic. He was creating opportunities by pressing from the front. Um, you know, we were moving the ball in similar ways. You know, Ryan Mason, for whatever whatever he is as a manager, he clearly learned a lot from from Pochettino. And it seems like he's just trying to get the guys to play something resembling what they already knew how to play. But the part of that that, like, really killed me was seeing things like Sun's goal that got ruled out, where Toby knocked it over the top to him. Um, and Toby hit those passes to Delhi a couple of times. You know, Jose Mourinho even within his terrible system of football should have wanted things like that to happen. You know, that connection from, from Toby out of the back straight up top um, to guys like son and Delhi making those runs. And we weren't getting it and we'd seen it before. And all of a sudden we're seeing it again. And the fact that he wasn't even able to see what was right in front of him, something that would have played right into the kind of football he wanted to play is just, just damning. Well, I think what's particularly damning is, I mean, Mourinho got brief spurts of productivity out of Gareth Bale, but, and again, it's Sheffield. I don't want to get carried away here, but Mason has very easily integrated Gareth Bale into this, like, half-baked Pochettino light system that you were talking about, and he did this in, like, three weeks. I think that probably speaks a lot to Gareth Bale's sort of football intelligence, but it also probably speaks to, like, getting something out of Gareth Bale this year, if you tried, wasn't that hard. And even if Mourinho might have wanted those funds like to go somewhere else, that he didn't sort of see this asset in front of him and figure out a way to put it to use, where I think Mason has demonstrated this wasn't that hard to figure out. So, you know, Surely you could have found a way to deploy him in a way that makes sense, but instead either his weird you know, need to feud with other alpha males ruined it, or he's just an idiot. Or both, you know. Por que no dos? Yeah, I mean... Like I said at the, at the beginning, it, it's fun to see this version of Gareth Bale. Like, and I don't know what you guys expected when we signed him, but I thought, you know, 15 goals out of him, that's, we'll probably do him pretty good. Um, it, and he's at 14 in all competitions right now. He's at, you know, nine in the league or whatever. Like, you know, he's going to probably get probably one more the rest of the way. Like, is he worth the twelve million in salary we're paying for him? I don't know, but it's really fun to see Gareth Bale play well in a Spurs shirt. Um, and I think, like you said, Greg, like the tactical intelligence he displayed, you know, in this game, you know, for a system that, you know, if it is basically a Pochettino light system that he certainly wasn't playing under Zidane, he certainly never played under Mourinho. Um, you know, it's, you know, it just speaks to his 
ability and, and intelligence as a footballer to be able to just kind of integrate into that. And, you know, look, the, the run, like I said earlier, the run that he made for that first goal and then the flick, um, like, that's amazing. There, there aren't that many people mm-hmm. in football that can do that. And, you know, the other goals were all really good too, but, like, the the <laughs> he made that harder for him because the the first goal he made so much harder for him by letting it bounce and then come up past him and like i think the easier thing to do was take it on the way down with the right foot but gareth bale won't do that because he's gareth bale so he had to let it bounce and come over to the and like I, I don't know that's just unreal skill to be able to do that and probably a bit of luck sure but like that's insane he scored a goal like that under Mourinho I mean we've seen this kind of thing out of him before this year and it's I, I, I don't know about you guys I think most realistic Spurs fans weren't expecting to see you know Inter Mil- Gareth Bale versus Inter Milan redux this year uh, this is certainly in my head, when we brought him back, this was kind of like the best case scenario, maybe against better teams, but this kind of play, this sort of, okay, he doesn't have that pace anymore, but he's really intelligent. He's really technically gifted, technically gifted and is just able to see things and do things in small spaces on the pitch that other players aren't. That's what I hope to see out of him. And I, I mean, you know, even with Spurs being cast strapped, I mean, it's like probably 12 million pounds just to bring him back next year in terms of just paying his salary. Cause I'm sure there won't be a transfer fee. I, I think we'd be crazy not to bring him back, especially if we have anything resembling a functional manager next season. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly he has been well worth the amount we paid for him. Uh, I mean, you know, Obama Yang and Arsenal is at on a, probably a similar wage and has delivered about the same number of goals. He scored his 10th goal this weekend in the league. Um, and in way more matches, you know. And this is our third highest goal scorer on the team, you know. It's like, you know, I'll give Jose a pass because we know Bale had fitness issues. And I'll accept that he probably wasn't fit enough to be playing all of this time. But again, he came into the team. He kicked ass for a while. He had one rocky game in a game that we all played badly against Arsenal. And then he disappeared. And, you know, a good manager would say, okay, that's a setback. How do we take this guy who's clearly talented? I believe he's leading the league in expected goals per 90. Um, You know, and, like, figure out how to keep him playing well like he was before that one setback. But that doesn't – isn't how Jose rolls. You know, Jose's going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and – it's it's fucking stupid. If this is the only year we couldn't we have Gareth Bale, like if we don't get him for next year, it's gonna be incredibly sad that we didn't get more of this when there was obviously so much more available. Um, and you know, even if we could maybe do more with that money, I don't know that a that we can. Uh, it's very cheap, and he scores at a very elite level. And b it's fucking Gareth Bale. It's just like it's a guy you want to watch do these things because. He brings you so much joy because you have so much nostalgia and affection wrapped up in his time here. Like, and why would you rob even him? if even if he can only do this against like sort of the lower tier of the league? Which after like you know like we were talking about, he acclimated very quickly to the system. I'm not convinced that you know a more talented manager with a more coherent attacking philosophy couldn't get you know, a really productive performance of, from a guy like Bale against better teams in the league. I think that's not off the table. But even if this is what we see from him, he can just whip ass against these sort of mediocre, lower-tier teams, that still has a lot of value. You know, that I mean, how many years did we not make the Champions League because we just didn't take care of business against Wigan? Yeah, and, and I mean, I think <clears throat> the important thing about it is, is like, what other attacker are you going to be able to sign for you know 12 or 15 million pounds that 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 provides this level of value and the thing that i don't know and i don't i don't know that any of us know for sure is that is if his returning to spurs is kind of a foregone conclusion i saw some suggestions from some people that are i guess sort of itk on twitter that the paperwork's basically already done all that needs to happen is Spurs need to agree to it for him to come back next year, which seems weird because he has only one year left remaining on his deal at Real Madrid, so I can't understand why they would 
you know, send him out on loan for that year without Cause, him because they don't want him extension. back. And- and they want to get his salary d- dealt with. So yeah, I mean, then just then you know release him or you know sell him for free, like send him on a free, like why loan him? Uh, but whatever, uh, you know. Again, you know, fifteen million pounds, like that's what we're spending on. You know, I don't know, like a, a, that's what you're going to spend for an Inkudu or a Clinton and G type player now. And instead, we're gonna get Gareth Bale for that. Like, all right, yeah, that sounds great. Um, even if he, even if, like you said, he just does it to beat up on lower level opposition, that's still really good for us. But I think, you know, the important thing and what we probably aren't going to get to see Mason um, do is, is whether us playing possession based attacking philosophy against better teams frees up Gareth Bale and minimizes, you know, the, the kind of weaknesses that he has when we have to press or we have to defend. And, you know, I, I think the, the good team we're going to have to play is Leicester. And, you know, I, it'll be the last day of the season. and It'll be, you know, emotional for all sorts of other reasons. So I don't know that that'll be, you know, the, the tactical barometer of whether or not Gareth Bale can succeed here in a possession-based system against some of the better teams in the league. But Yeah, I mean, and like Greg said... Even if he doesn't, it's still worth paying for. So, so great. Um, so, so guys, it sure is amazing that uh, taking the attack to the other team seems to lead to less pressure on our defense. I mean, who could have seen this brilliant tactical masterstroke but Ryan Mason, am I right? Serge Aurier is a lot better of a defender when he doesn't have to defend, right? I know that that sounds insulting, but it's true. You know, if he's not just camped out in his own half, having to deal with attack after attack, you know, it's true of our entire defense. It's just, it really is a breath of fresh air. I, I mean that genuinely as a compliment to Ryan Mason. I don't think he's fit to take the team over next year. I think he's still got some issues as manager, mostly at this point around team selection. But it really is a breath of fresh air. And I think he's doing a pretty good job for someone who's so young and so inexperienced and clearly just like, you know, had very little preparation for this. Yeah, and, you know, we talk a lot over the course of the season about all the individual errors our defenders kept making being a product of the systemic failure of Jose Mourinho to keep the ball far away from our back line. Um, And, you know, it's pretty telling when we do that and suddenly these guys don't look nearly as error-prone and calamitous. You know, I think all of these players have had very rocky seasons, and they look perfectly serviceable. Um... (laughs) You know, when when we have the ball against both Southampton and today against Sheffield United. Less so against Man City, but, you know, that's a different situation. Uh, I think, I mean, the guy I really want to talk about, though, is, is Deli Alley, who mm-hmm. has been marginalized for no good reason for a really long time. And no, he didn't score or assist any goals, but was just at the heart of so much of the good stuff we were doing. Um, just had. So much energy, which I guess credit to Jose Mourinho for, for keeping his legs fresh. But, you know. When we make our run into the Champions League, it's all because Mourinho kept Delhi fresh. That's right. And, like, you know, he is often wrongly tagged as a luxury player because he does so much of, like, the, you know, frivolous stuff, like nutmegging players for no reason and, you know, playing risky balls that might lead to giveaways and, you know, doing very, very audacious uh, strikes of the ball to score highlight real goals, um, scoop passes over the top. But, like, in addition to that, he is just incredibly hardworking. Um, and, you know, having him as part of a, a cohesive press, which, you know, was a little ragged and, and not what it was under, under Pochettino at our best, but, like, it was a thing that we could have and should have been doing all along. And just seeing him back in his element was just really, really refreshing. And with his really cool new look. Um, well, I, I, it's again, this is what I, I'm just a little stunned by, even though we've got years in, of evidence and oh, 18 months or whatever of Spurs of direct evidence, is just how naive Mourinho is about this. Because I think he sees that Delhi isn't, like you said, Ben, that typical, like, you know, 
gut-busting midfielder who's going to like get his ass back on defense and throw in a last tackle, although he has done that before. But, you know, what makes him such a valuable – part of what makes him such a valuable player is, like you said, yeah, people think of – that's not what people think of with Dele Alli. They think of the flair. They think of the, you know, the, the sort of techers that he does. But, you know, what he does to sort of break up attacks before they get started, the way he presses the ball, the way he messes them up in their own half, is just as valuable as, you know – Hoiberg throwing in a last ditch tackle, you know, in our own half, it's, it's useful, it's valuable. And when it's in a system that appreciates it, I mean, you could see the difference. I mean, again, I don't want to get too, too carried away, but this is the type of performance that, you know, I think we've been crying out for, for a lot of the season. And it's nice to see Delhi back. And frankly, with the Mourinho nightmare behind us, I just hope that he's a part of whoever takes over this team's plans. uh, Cause it was fun to watch him back in the team again. Well, and it's funny, it seems like the, the perception of him that is now being kind of peddled, um, it was largely driven by the Amazon documentary. Like, Jose sits down with him and says, you're lazy, you know, you could be here, but you're here. Like, you know, like, that is, that that has now permeated the media in terms of what people think of, of Deli Alley, as opposed to, Hey, this is a guy that you know at 19 years old kind of came to the Premier League and well, lit shit on fire. I like, think, like, I think if you're looking at Delhi, I think the fair criticism. And this isn't really a criticism, but the fair observation is: I think this is a guy we thought was going to keep taking steps until we're like forced to sell him to Real Madrid because he's too good, and he never took that final step into superstardom. I think now whether you know, I, I, he was so injured for so long and we had to sort of use him to plug holes in the team. I don't know if that's entirely fair to lay at his doorstep. Maybe that's what Mourinho was talking about. Probably not, because that guy sucks. But, you know, like, he, if there's any disappointment with Delhi, it's like you said, Brian. It's like we expected so much out of him when he was 19 years old that he is a extremely good player as opposed to, like, one of the five best players in the world is a weird thing to hold against him. Yeah, and and he's never been... To me, anyway, and probably not to any of the two of you either. He's never been lazy or a luxury player. Like, maybe he's not a good trainer. Uh, You know, I'll concede that. Fine. Um, But when he's out on the pitch, he's always moving. He's not dogging it. He tracks runners better than Harry Winks does. He, you know, he actually presses. He actually makes tackles. Um, You know, and, and he's... He's just everywhere when he's on his game. And and even when he's off his game, he's always trying things or trying to get involved. Like, I, I feel like very rarely is Deli Alley a passenger in matches. If... And, you know, I think there were probably some games when he was playing himself back from injury kind of at the end of the Pochettino era where we saw him kind of on the fringes of games. Uh, but, you know, when he's fully fit, uh, I, I mean, I, I think he's still one of the best players on the team. If, if you told me that Deli Alley was a pain in the ass in the locker room, like, I'm not saying he is, but if you told me that, like, I wouldn't think that's the farthest thing from reality. I, I, I think that's a believable thing to say, or could be a believable thing to say, but there has been nothing about his behavior or performance on the pitch that has warranted sort of what Mourinho... He even played really well under Mourinho when Mourinho first got here before he got injured, so I... You know, like I said, maybe there's something going on behind the scenes. It wouldn't be the most shocking thing to me. But if there is, I mean, other than Mourinho, no one has really talked about it. So, you know, I don't know what to say. It's 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 a shame. I'm glad for whatever reason Levy has refused to sell him. And I just hope he's around in an important part of Spurs next season. I think we're past the point of caveats. Like, fuck Jose. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I'm tired of making excuses for all the reasons why these guys aren't better and aren't getting more playing time. Like, the reason is the worst manager in the history of this club is fucking gone, (laughs) and now suddenly everybody's good again because he was terrible. I'm like, that's the end of it for me. That's fine. I also, as much as as I was saying, I if you told me he was a pain in the ass at locker, I believe that. I think that's probably just as likely. So, uh, what you were saying, Ben. you guys want to talk about that red card? That wasn't. Nah, that was ridiculous. That was abs. Normally, when managers complain about like missed red cards, I think they're like milking it a little bit. What Mason said was completely accurate. I don't know how they missed that. They looked at it. They they watched a replay and were like, "That's fine." 
Like, I don't understand what happened. Like, completely ridiculous. And the other thing was, is, like, there's some people on, on Twitter saying, you know, oh, he didn't mean it, he doesn't know. Because First of all, he definitely he knows. That. He definitely knows. He looks down. But even if he doesn't know, it's still dangerous play, and he still should have been sent off. The fact that he got away with nothing, like, not even, it wasn't that he did it, and then he got a yellow card, and the ref was like, ah, yellow card's fine, I don't need to make this a red card, like, it would have been bad, but you could have looked at it and gone, uh, all right, I guess. But he got away with nothing. He was like, uh, Your Honor, I didn't mean to stamp on his face. I meant to stamp on his shoulder. And then I just fell on his face. I mean, who among us hasn't been like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and he definitely did. Shoulder. He did not have the reaction of a guy like, what I do? Like, or, oh, shit, I'm sorry. Like, you know, it was very much like. What are you complaining about? Like, come on. Like, you stepped on his face with cleats on. Like, what are you doing? My favorite part of the whole scenario is he goes over while while Lo Celso is getting, like, looked at by the physio. And he goes over to, like, pat him on the shoulder and be like, yeah, sorry. And Lo Celso's like, no, fuck you. Stay away from me. <laughs> and he's like, all right, whatever. And then, like, gives, like, a shitty look as, as he walks away from him. I'm like, no, you've stepped on his face. He has every right to be like, go away. Don't talk to me. That's not like, oh, you both went for a 50-50 ball and, like, you know, some, like your head slipped and... Yeah. Oh. God, it's so... I, I do love it when players do that do what you were saying, Brian, when it's like, someone goes over and like, yeah, we're good, right? No, we're not good. You just tried to step on my face. Like, get out of here. Yeah, someone's lying on the ground with a broken ankle and they just kind of pat him on the ass. Like, you're all right, buddy. And it's just <laughs> like, no, he's not all right. You fucked him up, man. Um, but yeah, this I, I really appreciated that Lacelso wasn't just like yeah, thumbs up. He was like, no, my face. Look at my face. Do you think that ice pack they put on it was like? <laughs> did it just happen to look like that, or were they trying to send a message? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's uh, and they kept zooming in and showing close-ups of the cleat marks on his face as if to rub it in more. Like I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what is a player you would you would need to show the referee other than like, look, his fucking cleats were on my face. I don't get this. Isn't I mean, I'm sure there is some arcane explanation of refereeing rules that would probably lend some, shed some light on this, but I don't understand how if you have a video camera and can rewind and watch the footage, you're not like, ooh, you should, like you you don't get on the headset and you're like, you should go take a look at that, but <laughs> like that was really really egregious. Yeah, VAR's bad, referees are bad. So, that's the other thing. We owe, I think we should be clear, as Tottenham fans, we owe VAR a lot. We've gotten some real yucks at Man City's expense over the years, thanks to VAR. But, boy, it likes to call Hunming Sun goals off, doesn't it? I mean, he was uh, he, he Oh, was fuck off. That wasn't off. Come on. He's like, Come on. I mean, elbow that's the was sticking the over the written. line. I mean, like, I agree. I don't like how the rule, like, how, how the rule, the rule as it worked, as it is doesn't work with the VAR system because then we're looking at like the lean and like is there pinky like I I don't like that either I'm not saying that's good but like that's what the rule is and he was offside ugh, ugh. fucking narc I feel like I just don't trust those lines I don't trust the camera angles I don't trust extrapolating the one camera angle into a 3D picture to tell me who's in front of somebody else like it's all nonsense this is how this is how Skynet starts it's it's just Unacceptable. I feel like that if Jermaine like, Defoe... Like overhead camera to show. Like, surely that would be a better way to do it than, like, oh, here's the camera on the side that's never directly in line with the last defender, and then we're just going to draw our lines that way. Like, give me the overhead dots fall manager view. Like, that's what I want. Literal Skynet, if you will. Oh, no. <laughs> they can call it that. Instead of VAR, they'll call it Skynet. We're going to go... <laughs> We're going to Skynet for review. Like, great. Let's oh, they, they, they've determined that human beings are destroying this planet and need to be wiped out for its for its benefit. Um, I feel like Jermaine Defoe would just spend his time going around stadiums like smashing monitors if, if he was if he if this was around during his peak because he would just get called off sides for every run he made to score a goal. He scored for Rangers this weekend. He would have been vindicated in all those marginal <laughs> offsides calls would have uh, resulted in the most impressive goal tally anyone's ever seen. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, 
So moving on, I think uh, something very funny that happened right uh, earlier today is Jose Mourinho got hired by uh, Roma, which, boy, I didn't see that one coming. I wasn't ready to, to move off of Sheffield United because I have to make one complaint. Okay. Bring down all the feel-goods is once again, Tongi and Dombele did not kick it off the bench, and it, unless he's secretly injured, they need to fucking tell us that, so, like, I stop being mad. Well, he's personally. not, because uh, Alistair Gold or, wrote a thing today about how he's not in the team, but he's still playing pranks on coaches, so he seems to be doing well. I Like, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know how you can look at him and not think he should be in the team somewhere. You're right. It's not good. Yeah, Harry Winks almost conceded a goal single-handedly when he came on, and probably a couple goals, honestly. And and we brought him on instead of Indavale. Like he's terrible, but in the Man City game, you can at least tell yourself, well, Indavale is too risky with the ball, and we need to be a little safer. And if nothing else, Harry Winks is a safe pair of hands. But we were three 0 up by the time Harry Winks came on. If it's if you have any any possible scenario where a guy who might be a little loose with the ball. And, like, can just go out there and have fun. Like, that's the time to let Ndombele go. Or even a and team you just start him against. Like, let's cut through right. Sheffield. Yeah, like, not, let's do it all day. You know, like, we're playing Delhi, Sun, Bale, Kane, Lo Celso. Like, yeah, there's – unless you're willing to try a Lo Celso and Ndombele midfield, which I am, you know, there's it's hard to say. It's it's reasonable to leave him out of that front, front five, front six. But to not bring him off the bench yet again is – is just really, really rubbed me the wrong way, Ryan. And, you know, I want to love you as manager because you make the feels feel good, but you got to fix this, buddy. Yeah, if you're going to be the good vibes manager, you need to keep the vibes good. You don't need to throw a wrench into yeah, it. Best vibes. Anyway, sorry. No, 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 me. that's fine. I, mean, I think you're contractually obligated to do that anyway. Um, yeah, so I, I guess speaking of good vibes, Jose Mourinho just got a job with Roma today, which I, honestly, I thought Mourinho's decline down the club football ladder would be a lot uh, more steep than this. Uh, this is more of a gentle decline from Tottenham. Uh, I, I First of all, thank you to AS Roma for sig- saving Tottenham Hotspur a lot of money. Uh, by some accounts, we're going to save 10 million pounds or 13 million pounds. I'm not sure, but basically we don't have to pay Mourinho starting like May one or later this month, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this. Brian Roma's kind of your second team, so. I mean, it's my Italian team, I guess. I I I really enjoy Roma. They have beautiful kits. I don't think anyone can argue with that point. Um, but yeah, uh, it's weird. I, like Roma are not great this year, and they have a really kind of broken and old squad and they don't have any of the kind of players that Jose I, I don't know what their midfield's going to be like and and I mean he's got Fazio so he's got a defender that's not going to move and will just head balls away from the box so and Chris Smalling who I think he liked at Manchester United so he's got that going for him but ugh, I this is I don't I, it's just funny, like, you see the tweets now where, or the comments on the internet where it's just like, you know, Jose Mourinho must interview very well because they, they posted, like, the clips, like, from Manchester United where he blew away their owners and he blew away Daniel Levy and now he's blown away the Roma owners in the interview. And, like, maybe he's that guy. He's that guy, like, he just has a really good interview and then gets to the job and he's like, well, I'm not going to do any of that shit. Um I, I don't know. I don't know how you look at the last two jobs now that he's done and think that he's the hire for you. Well, but, Brian, especially if you're Roma and you want to play interesting football. Well, I could at least buy Roma just wants to win things, but like he is a bad fit for that roster. I mean, he's a bad fit for any roster, but he's a really bad fit for that roster. But I think, Brian, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Like When we hired him, it wasn't a good idea. But if you really wanted to convince yourself, you could squint and sort of talk yourself into it with like, oh, it was Ed Woodward and it was a toxic environment and Chelsea. He won a couple of trophies at United. Yeah, yeah, he won the Europa League at United and the FA Cup, I think. Um, but yeah, and you can. Uh, and the your Super League? Did he win the Super League or did he win the Charity Shield? Well, he won a treble one year, but one it wasn't really a treble. Treble in air quotes, yeah. yeah. But my point is, it was probably a mistake at Spurs, but you definitely have the body of evidence now to tell you Jose Mourinho sucks and has passed it, 
and you shouldn't be in charge of your squad. And they did it anyway. I swear to God, if he wins something at Roma, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Yeah, but if he wins, like, the Copa Italia, who really cares? No, but watch him win the Scudetto with Roma. Well, like, let's not get carried away. He's not going to win the Scudetto with Roma. Like, let's just be clear. They finished, they're in seventh right now, and they may finish lower than that. Um, they're not winning the league next year. No, but wouldn't it be, wouldn't it, wouldn't it really suck for us? Like, you'd be like, ah, that could have been us. No, I mean, all it would do is sort of confirm every negative opinion we've ever had about Serie A. Like, all the, all the goodwill they've built up over the last few years, like, ah, no, they're actually terrible. But honestly, like, I thought an Italian club kind of would be his next destination, but I don't think I thought it would be Italian Tottenham Hotspur. Um, so it's weird. I don't know. I, I thought, like, surely, like, the Milan job, the AC Milan job well, would be... Well, I mean, Italy's the only country he really didn't do his signature burning of bridges in when he left. Like, like no one... I, I don't think he left anyone particularly mad at him. I mean, unless you were just, like, a Milan fan or something. I mean, Inter were kind of in shambles. You know, Rafa Benitez took over. We beat them in the Champions League. Yeah, but they yeah, just won the... Tr- they won a European Boy. Cup. I think that buys you a certain level of credit. Yeah, before then. <laughs> but, you know, so, like, I mean, odds are, right, we're going to meet Roma in the Europa League next season, like, almost certainly. Definitely, and we'll get tactics by Jose Mourinho. What's more, what would be more frustrating, getting just outright beaten by Mourinho or, like, whipping his ass, but just, like, the ball doesn't go in the net and they score the dumbest goal in the world and we lose 1-0. I think... That one. Yeah. That one would be more yeah. So that's what's going to happen, definitely. Yeah. I, it's... <laughs> I'm just... I'm, I am shocked he took another job so quickly. I am shocked that a club is... I mean, Rome is a mess, but they're still a reasonably big name. I mean, I, sooner or later, people are going to stop hiring him, but apparently not. Like, I feel like he's definitely going to end up in Turkey after he fails at Roma in 18 months. It's really surprising because, like, he took some time after Man U to rehab his image, get his head right, maybe, you know, go Develop on TV. Develop footballing philosophy. Allegedly. <laughs> you know, and you'd think after this job went so much worse than the Man U job that I would have expected him to need more time, you know, rehabbing his image, going on TV. Like, he took a job with The Sun and TalkSport. Like, this week it was announced before he took the Roma job. It seemed like he was ready to go right back to, like, the pundit mode and, like, be charming on TV. And everyone goes, oh, that old rascal. He sure still knows his stuff. Like, maybe he could do a job for us. Well, and LOL, it's just Spurs. Like, he'll be fine somewhere else after you forget about it. But That's a Roma thought. I hope they get relegated. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Uh, so I think the other big news that we should talk about is – sort of what's going on with the supporters trust um the the ongoing fallout of the super league uh the supporters trust today put out a six-point plan for the future of tottenham hotspur which included uh the board and daniel levy resigning um with a fan voice uh on the board representing uh as a representative and that was paired with the news that they had apparently refused to meet um tottenham's (laughs) offer of a meeting with the entire board of spurs uh, I don't know. I, I think this is an interesting moment in that, you know, we talked about this with the Super League. I, I think fans are certainly feeling themselves, and rightly so right now. They have a level of influence and pressure that they have generally not had before. I think, you know, this is obviously coming off the heels of the fan protests on the field at Manchester United, which I think the coverage was completely ridiculous of. I think, you know, acting like that was... The storming of the Bastille is completely ridiculous. Uh, anyway, I, I don't. I, I guess I want to get into the sort of where the supporters' trust is and what what the sort of reaction to the Super League should be. I, I guess just to frame the conversation, my sort of issue with a lot of the supporter complaints at Spurs has always been, and I am not entirely conflating the supporters' trust in this, but I do think they get caught up in this some of the time. Is when our fans complain about ownership, they're not complaining about it like United fans complain about the Glazers. We're not complaining about taking money out of the team and sort of, you know, like abusing the fans 
and denying them a voice and profiting off of it. I mean, even the sort of the big Enoch Gal slogan is profit over glory. The, the Spurs fan complaint about our current ownership is generally, why aren't we winning more shit? Why aren't we winning more trophies? Why isn't the money being better spent? Now, I don't think that is always the position of the supporters' trust. I think that bleeds into some of their commentary sometimes. And, you know, they're an organization run by fans. I think that's going to happen. I, you know, certainly agree with their sort of mission statement of supporting, representing the match-going fan, representing Spurs fans in general, finding ways that to put pressure on the club to give those fans support to make ticket prices fair and so on and so forth with those things. I think that's important. I, considering that I think their goals are very unrealistic, Daniel Levy owns part of Spurs. I don't think he's going anywhere and I don't think there's any level of pressure that they could bring to make that happen. I question the wisdom of turning down a on the record meeting with the Spurs board where at a minimum they can, in a positive sense, they could establish a dialogue at a minimum they have an opportunity to pin them down on Super League questions and get it on the record. I don't know. Some of this is just about tactics. Some of this is about where they're pointed as an organization. I think turning down the meeting was a mistake. But, Ben, do you have any thoughts on this sort of – I just covered a lot there, and I know it's a big topic. So, Yeah, I mean, I think, I think their demands are reasonable demands to make even if they're not reasonable goals to expect to achieve. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw today, you know, Chelsea agreed to put, I think, three supporter observers on the board to be non-voting members to have some level invo- of involvement with board-level decisions, um, which I think is great. Um, you know, giving fans a stake in the decision-making process of the club, even if it's not like an actual voting membership is a big step um, for a club to take. And that's something that the supporters trust has asked for. And I think that is a reasonably achievable goal. I think asking for Daniel Levy and the board to resign is a reasonable thing to demand and an unreasonable thing to expect to happen. Um, But sure, go out there, say, this is where we want to start. And then, you know, you can walk back from there to something that you can call a victory even as you concede basically you know the the whole the whole uh issue um but i agree with you that denying the opportunity refusing the opportunity to meet with the board to demand a meeting with the ownership instead is is just a weird ask you know like you said daniel levy is a 30 percent owner of the club and the other owner of the club lives on a boat in the bahamas so like what? What is your end game here? Is you want to sit down with club owner Daniel Levy and say you need to fire chairman of the board Daniel Levy? Like, what sense does that make? Um, the owner and the chairman of the board are basically the same person, um, and I don't think you're going to have any more luck talking to Joe Lewis about Daniel Levy's failings in this enterprise from the start. Daniel Levy has done all the hands-on work running this club. You know, I don't think you're going to find a more sympathetic ear to fan needs in, again, a guy who lives on a boat in the Bahamas and who has been to zero Spurs matches in 20 years because he literally can't enter the country uh, legally, you know. So, yeah, I would say sit down with the board and make your demands and go from there. Um, You know, there's a few weapons you have as fans. And it's meetings like that. It's boycotting matches. It's staging protests like they did at Old Trafford. Um, and, you know, we've seen protests at Chelsea in the last couple of weeks. We've seen the protests at Old Trafford. We haven't really seen any sizable protests out of Spurs yet. Um, you know, we haven't seen any boycotts. Boycotts are tough because the reality is, is there are so many people happy to take your seat at a match that, you don't have the leverage you think you do, but, you know, maybe you could turn it into bad publicity. It's, it's a tough position that supporters trust is in, um, and I don't envy that. And I think that, Brian, I'll turn it over to you in a second. I just want to follow up on this real quick. Uh, I, I think the issue they have is, like, I think you look at certainly United, where there is a longer history, and I would argue a deeper rationale for sort of un- discontent with ownership that has 
made it easier to sort of mobilize the fans in that direction. I think the number of Spurs fans that were unhappy with just the sort of our approach to football and how we involved the fans before the Super League was very, very low. I think generally you would see Enoch out pop up in a sizable way when we just weren't winning enough, when we were going to miss out on the Champions League, when we didn't sign the right players that we were going to sign. So translating that kind of anger over to this is tough. It's difficult. And, you know, when you're, if you're not prepared to deploy some of the bigger tools in your arsenal, you know, like you said, like boycotts, like staging protests in the ground to really embarrass embarrass Spurs, which is really what, you know, if they, if they want to, that's their leverage over Tottenham. They can make it look ugly. A boycott might not be successful, but your supporters trust advocating it doesn't look good. And it makes it, like, that is not a good day at the office for Daniel Levy, that he has to deal with that, that the club has to deal with that. And, you know, the sort of, I can't tell how serious they are about this stuff, because they certainly talk a big game. And then, like I said, turning down a meeting with the board, being able to pin them down on questions, I don't know. I don't know. It it I, I, it strikes me as a little unserious, and maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but that's how it feels to me. And I don't think I have anything intelligent to add to what you two have already said. I, I think I think I generally am frustrated with the supporters' trust because they have a level of access and privilege that a lot of other Spurs fans do not have. Like they get to have meetings with Donna Cullen and Daniel Levy from time to time and they get to ask them questions. And the questions that invariably get asked in those meetings are why aren't ticket prices lower? Why didn't we sign this player? Why didn't and it's just like okay, what are you doing to actually impact you know the direction of this club or to to accomplish your mission of, of making it more community focused and less like uh, a, an American sports franchise and and I mean I, I disagree with Ben in that like I don't know that these demands are the demands you should have made I absolutely agree that they that you know if you're gonna make them you shouldn't expect them to be the ones granted but like my thing on this always is i have this position with anything the trust ever says basically is like you have this platform and you have this level of access to the club and this is what you decided to do like it feels wasteful in in terms of like ben said like well i don't want to meet with chairman daniel levy i want to meet with owner daniel levy like no come on like what what is the thing that you want here like do you want them to actually apologize do you want to nail them down on the record for the reasons they went along with this plan like like what is it and and you know calling for resignations is great like it's not going to happen so i mean i i just i would like the supporters trust to like live up to the ideals that they actually suggest that they are um that they that they are in support of that they exist in support of instead of just kind of seeming like angry twitter fans yeah i mean i think you know it's the issue here is the super league and if the super league's problem is that it undermines the competitiveness of the english football pyramid and the integrity of the english football pyramid you know, like, I agree that those are the, the kinds of things you could be asking about. Is there, you know, a commitment from the club to never leave, you know, the Premier League um, for European... A commitment to uh, add financial support to Leighton Orient or Herringay FC or whatever. Right, right, exactly. The fight for sharing of, of TV revenues down the pyramid. Like, there's a lot of things you can ask for to preserve the integrity of the club. Um, asking... Again, asking for the the board to resign, I think, is a fine ask. But I think that needs to be backed up with a sense of what does it mean for the board to resign? What does it mean to have a new board for Tottenham Hotspur? And what do you expect these people to do? There like, is some of that in the document. New board to pull that whole cloth is not is 
not necessarily going to give you the club that you want. So what are the things that you actually want? And I mean, I think one really wasn't good. one of the demands like to institute a 50 plus one ownership structure as well. Like, why, why, why would that be a thing that happened? Like, I, I just like you. If you want, if you want to be able to have like a fan seat on the board, like like Chelsea implemented, or, or multiple fan seats on the board. Oh, I think that's a reasonable demand. I think that's fine. I, but like to demand that the owners sell off, you know, fifty point oh one percent of the club just so you have, you know, this structure that you envy from another country. Like, come on, guys, what are what are we actually doing here? Okay, that's the kind of demand that like it's hard to make exist in a vacuum. Like if the whole Premier League was going to do it, and all the supporters trust were making that demand of, of the FA to institute a rule like that, that's one thing. You know, if you make Tottenham do it and nobody else does it, you are creating a, a competitive environment for this club that is not going to give you the results on the pitch that, that you're looking for. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. I think there's some disconnect, I think, between what we want to happen and what we're asking for here. And, like, I'm incredibly sympathetic to the position of the trust and the feelings of these fans and how how much they were stepped on um, by by the club ownership and the club leadership um, in the last weeks. And I think there needs to be a much better answer for that than we've gotten. You know, we are, I think, the only club of the six who have not actually said, I'm sorry yeah. for this. And, like, take those apologies with a grain of salt, but it's more than we've gotten from, from Tottenham. And yeah, we deserve more than that. Like, we deserve a, a, a reckoning. Well, it's and I think that you get to it there, Ben. It's what do we expect that? What are we expecting from them? What and like Brian said, what are we doing here? And I think one of the things the supporters trust gives the fans is this, they give them the dialogue with the club. And I just, you know, I, and again, like like Ben said, I'm sympathetic to where they're coming from. I'm sympathetic to their concerns, but I just feel like not talking to them, them not talking to them, is such a wasted opportunity in terms of you know and i'm not even pretending that you know um they're going to talk to them and necessarily they're going to meet you know honestly I, my guess is they won't put a fan representative on the board i think it would and there is a very good chance it would be a very unproductive conversation but bringing those concerns directly to them is a big part of supporters trust and you know, they, they do address some of, like, what they would see in world football in that document. There is, you know, they, they specifically talk about, I, I think, because just as we complained about it, I think we should make a point of saying this. They're not talking about getting a fan voice and, like, playing and coaching decisions, or player and coaching decisions. They're not, that's not what they're doing here. But, again, it's like, what are we doing here in terms of what are we trying to do? What is the Supporters Trust trying to deliver? And what's a realist? I don't want to say what's realistic because, you know, Chelsea putting fan seats on the board probably would have seemed crazy a couple weeks ago. You know, so did all these teams trying to leave. Like, I don't think you should necessarily limit yourself to, like, what you think is possible today. And like you said, Ben, like, you, you shoot for the stars and you take what you can get. And But I feel like a big value of supporters' trust is the dialogue they create between the fans and the club. And because, you know, our options here are create FC Hotspur of Tottenham or find a way to, like, try to ethically excuse being fans of a Premier League club, you know, we need to find some sort of medium. And it's just eliminating an opportunity for that dialogue, even if only as a way to sort of make them look foolish, I think is a mistake. And, I mean, imagine if we got offered a meeting with the board. Think how many bits you could do during, like, I don't know, (laughs) how long does a meeting with a board last? An hour? Like, think of all the stuff you could just squeeze into that hour. Like, I mean, if we weren't trying to be be worth it for that alone. I, I, I always Levy, I, come I, on radio. Yes, Levy, you coward. <laughs> come on Wheeler Dealer Radio. I always feel <laughs> I always feel a little strange talking about the supporters trust because we are Americans and a big part and I don't think this is a mistake even, a big part of the supporters trust mandate is match is rep then it's not their entire mandate and they would say so. But a big part of their mandate is the experience of the match going fan, as it should be, and it's a little harder. I think for us to relate to that purely because we just don't go to matches all the time and we don't have the ability to go to matches all the time. So it's not even 
you know, I'm sure if you lived in, you know, somewhere in London and just went to Spurs a couple times a year, some of this is academic, but you can relate to it. It's very hard for us to relate to, especially here where it is quite literally impossible for us to even contemplate going to a match, even if they were allowing fans in the stands. So it's always difficult, and I, I try not to be too judgmental because they do represent more so a, a group of fans that we just can't be a part of for one reason or another. And we do tend to see things a little differently because we're over here across the Atlantic. And they, and they do do a lot of good work, uh, sort of working with the club, making sure that, that you know, the fans' voices are heard to some extent and addressed. But I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's like today demonstrated, like, you know, the big headline was they turned down a, board, a meeting with the board of Spurs. And I think that shows you where a lot of their power in a situation like this lies. And... I question if that was the way to use it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we've covered it. Uh, you know, and again, it's hard. It's easy to armchair quarterback. Yeah. The, the trust. It's a hard job. It's an increasingly difficult job as the club gets more and more globalized. It's not even and, a job. They're not getting paid for it. So. Right. But I mean, as the, as the leverage of the, not just match-going fans, but the particular match-going fans that represent, that make up the supporters' trust membership, um, increasingly has less leverage as a as a share of revenue in the club. It is very easy to fill Tottenham Hotspur Stadium with 60,000 people, whether these people are buying tickets or not. There's a wait list thousands and thousands and thousands of people long. You know, there are fans all over the world happy to throw money at this club, and you know, they're representing an increasingly marginalized group of fans that is is a, just a really thankless job and a really difficult task. And so I, I applaud their existence, and I, I really am glad that they're out there doing it. Um, but I think, I think there's a real challenge in any kind of protest as a fan because – you're kind of in two different, wearing two different hats. You know, you're a stakeholder in this community institution that you want to preserve in a certain way. And also you are cynically the consumer of a product that is a football team in a, you know, major sporting competition. And the interests of one and the interests of the other are not always aligned. And, it is really, really hard to reconcile those those interests in one group, and that's necessarily the job of the supporters' trust. And you know, it's it's tough. Well, it's even harder when you consider that you know, you like, like let's look at the Super League because that is what has sort of prompted a lot of this anger. Is you know that wasn't just disrespectful to match going fan. That wasn't just disrespectful to English fans. That was like they didn't seem to give a shit what any fan had to think about that. I, I mean. I don't think there was a groundswell of support from anywhere. I know it's generally targeted probably foreign fans, but I don't, you know, I don't know any Americans or Canadians or anyone else I talk to who supports Spurs in a country that is in England who was excited about the, the Super League. Uh, at best, they were sort of willing to tolerate it and see what it turned into. But, you know, it's just, like you said, they're increasingly dismissive of fans as a whole, and that's why groups like the Supporters Trust are important. And... You know, I guess that's just why I find stuff like what happened today so compelling and interesting because, you know, how do what what is the best way to register your anger with something that you're a stakeholder in? And it's very hard. You know, it's it's you know, it's the thing that Spurs can always sort of any football team can sort of throw in your face. What are you going to go do? Be a United fan? Be a you know, you're going to go start FC Hotspur of Tottenham like. You know, I, as, as successful and as sort of encouraging as that has been, you know, I mean, you think Man United notices that? I mean, it's hard. It's it's very hard to sort of exercise your disapproval of a team like this. Yeah, I I mean, I I don't know. I I just I'm like you guys. I, I empathize with their position. I just wish they, in this moment where fan power appears to be at an all time high, that we were utilizing it in a way that was something more than. I don't like all of you, all of you quit, and then my team will be better. Like, I, I just wish we were doing something else. 
So speaking of something else, um, our, I think our last thing to address this week before we wrap it up is uh, we look like we had a manager locked in last week, and it's not happening. Ten Hag is signed an extension with Ajax, and all the media hubbub is cooled down. Uh, I don't know. This sure seems embarrassing for Spurs. Speaking of things that are embarrassing for Spurs. We got really mixed reporting uh, about it. You know, there's some sources that said, like, we met with him and didn't love him enough to offer him a job. And there's some sources that said we never even spoke to him. And, you know, he just signed his extension without us. Um, you know, again, I I don't think Ten Hag was, like, the guy uh, or, sh- like, should have been the guy. It was just weird because it seemed like the club sources were putting it out there yeah. that he was going to be the guy. And so – that's what makes it look kind of weird and embarrassing. Like we had the reports that Nagelsmann was a guy and then he wasn't. Then we had the reports that Ten Hag was a guy and then he wasn't. It's just, it just makes us look like yeah. we're stupid. It sure and felt really like we were, my... it sure felt like we were briefing reporters about that. Like we were very excited about Ten Hag and you know, like, like you said, it, maybe it was just, he came in for an interview and boy, that didn't go well, but it, it looks bad because it feels like we were really hyping him up in an official capacity. I don't care if it looks bad. As long as we hire somebody good yes. when the search is done, it doesn't matter. And I think there's still plenty of good candidates out there. I've, you know, I was never convinced that Ten Hag was like a must-have manager. Um, you know, there are still plenty of fish in the sea. So yeah, I definitely started to talk myself into him though. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think that's the thing we we talked about last week, or I did anyway. Is you know, I can kind of go any way on you know the the group of. Ten Hag, Potter, and, you know, whoever, you know, the third, whatever third candidate you like best is. Like, I I don't know. Like, they all seem kind of in the same ballpark to me. Like, uh, you know, so I'm happy with pretty much any of those guys. But, But the Ten Hag thing is weird, especially because, you know, some of the reporting around it, or not reporting, but the Twitter ITK was, you know, they, they, they weren't impressed with his his English skills, um, and then you can find YouTube clips of him, you know, giving press conferences in English, and he's, his English skills seem perfectly fine to me. Certainly just as good, if not better, than Pochettino's. Um, and I don't know. It's it. It's interesting to me how much onus or, or how much focus teams place on the interview process. And... I don't. I, maybe it's because you know I don't work in professional sports. Like I don't know what the interview process is like for a coach or a manager, and I don't know what you know the expectation is. Um, you know, I don't know if you have to have a fancy PowerPoint or a really cool binder or whatever. But I would say that an interview process that led you to Jose Mourinho as a manager for eighteen months, maybe your process and interviewing is less important than actual football managing and managing matches. Uh, but again, like Ben said, I wasn't like, we have to get Ten Hag. He's the only reasonable hire now that Nagelsmann is off the table. Um, I, I, I don't feel that way. I mean, I still think that maybe he, he could be a possibility that there's there's the potential that the, the IX extension is a bargaining chip. I have no idea, but... You know, what, whatever. I'm, I'm, I still feel like we'll wind up with an okay manager. I mean, in terms of the interview process, it's like, and I think we've said this before, but as long as we're coming up with a good short list of good managers who, on paper, have done good work in various contexts and play interesting, exciting football, I'm fine for Daniel Levy's gut feeling in an interview to be the decider between these guys because at, at some level like their resumes are only going to take you so far you never know whether the guy who killed it in Ajax is going to be a success or the guy who did a really good job at Southampton is going to be the better fit you know it's really hard to know that um, and how that's going to translate you know the problem is is when Daniel Levy gets a idea in his head that Juan de Ramos is, is my guy, and I have to have him at all costs. Or Jose Mourinho is, is a man for me. Um, and then the interview is just there to kind of confirm that expectation. 
that's when we get into trouble. So, you know, it still sounds like we're kind of casting a wide net and looking a lot of places. Um, you know, if if the wrong guy happens to be the one who blows Daniel Levy away in an interview. Well, I'm when does that ever happen? With, yeah. I'm at least comfortable that, like, we're not interviewing total clods. And, like, that's the best we can do. It's just a weird situation where I feel like we've been out without a permanent manager for a long time now. And it's only been, like, what, three weeks? Well, it's really been and... since we fired Coach Tino, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, like, we we haven't even really heard, like, really well-reported strong rumors. Like, like Ben said, the, the Ten Hag stuff was kind of disputed about. Did we actually talk to him? Or, you know, was it, was it the internet? What was the deal? I, I just wonder what the search is like right now. And I don't know if that means that, you know, the people that we're, we're talking about hiring, if they are, you know, their clubs are still at the be- business end of their season and that we're not really able to engage with those folks seriously um, or, or what the deal is. But, I, you know, the, the reporting, at least as of the time that we were allegedly looking at Ten Hag, was is that we wanted to have someone in place at the end of the season. Um, we got a few weeks left for that, and I... I don't feel like we're any closer to a permanent appointment and and we're certainly not at the point where, you know, there's, there's smoke to indicate that, that <laughs> someone is close, let alone fire. So I, I, I just, well, that felt like one say. of those things that the club has had to walk back because they were so hot on Ten Hag and whoops. Now we're not, I mean, as long as we hire someone relatively quickly in the summer, you know, who cares? I, I don't mind if we have to wait the whole season before it really comes out. I, you know, I mean, I'm not felt... waiting for Southgate and Martinez to finish the Euro. No! <laughs> I mean, the thing about that I liked about how the Ten Hag process felt was like, okay, we missed on Knuckles, so we'll move on to our number two, and that's kind of how the Pochettino hiring went with, you know, we didn't get Van Hall, so let's hire Pochettino. Um, I, you know, I just hope we end up with the right guy. Uh, you know, we've had examples of that happening with Levy. We've had examples of that not happening with Levy. So, who knows how this one will go, but uh, it'll be nice when... Maybe we get heavily linked with someone if they turn out to be the actual person we hire. But I'd much rather they get it right than and let then and let Matt Law write some shitty columns than uh, you know just hire someone to shut the press up. So on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up for the week. Uh, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. Ben, where n- nothing else? You don't want to add anything else to that, Brian? Nope. Okay. Uh, nope. Ben, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. That's you with a Y. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. That's double O with a Y. And of course, uh, you can find our podcast. <laughs> Um, at WDR Podcast, that's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Don't forget to leave us five stars on iTunes and leave us one, an incredibly insulting review as you give us five stars because we have some real, real kind of just nasty reviews that give us five stars, so we really appreciate those. In any case, for Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>